Well, good morning. Take your copy of God's Word and open it up to John 15. John 15. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 17 today. We're taking three weeks to, to go through this chapter. We'll finish it up next week. And if you're our guest, welcome. If you're online, welcome. I, we invite you to open up God's Word. You'll know where we are next week. We're on what's next. <laughs> so we're, that's the, what we do here. We study through books of the Bible. What, what else we do is we respond to God's Word at every service in, in three ways. We, we worship together as a response. We, we celebrate communion. It's at the back of the room as a response. And we take our offering up at the same time. Really, we could say it's four. And then we scatter out to practice what we've heard. And so, let us hear God's Word today. You stand with me in honor of God's Word. This is the Upper Room Discourse. The cross is literally around the corner in the life and in Jesus' mission and His journey. He takes time to prepare and instruct His disciples. And we see in verse 12, He says, This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. Than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask in the Father's, in my Father's name, He may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Pray together. Lord, we need your help today. Because we have a culture, and we have media, and we have the internet and all that is defined love for us in an unbiblical way and here so we read that you are commanding us to love one another and yet Lord you do not give us the right to define love you have to find it for us in your word by your character and so God help us at this point to understand the love that you have in the Godhead, the love that was expressed to us. We have felt your love. We have seen your love. We are feeling it even as we pray. And so, God, encourage your people, sharpen our swords today, that we may do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, if you've got your notes, we invite you to get your, your notes. There is some fill-in-the-blank there. There's some pens back there on the table. If you don't have one, you're not going to bother me to get up. Same main idea for the, for the last two weeks. We looked last week at the first part of our main idea. Jesus encourages his followers to abide so that they might live a fruit-filled life motivated by love. We looked at that last week, John 15 down to verse 11. 
And what we're looking at today, our main idea is that this fruit-filled life that is motivated by love expresses itself in a particular way. It expresses itself in what the Bible calls a brotherly love or hospitality. So let's just get our minds around this because it's probably one of the great neglected things of the church. What do you think about when you think about a hospital? Now, if, if you've only ever had outpatient surgery and up to the, my recent little event, that's all I ever had, you might have one impression, you may have another. If you've never had any experience, you're free to make a judgment if you want to. But if you've ever had a life-changing event, some kind of traumatic event, if you've ever experienced one day or a week in the hospital, you will have an impression. So just let yourself, if you've ever been there, I can remember, didn't know I was having a heart attack, I drove myself to the ER in Mount Holly. And so I walked up to the desk with this little old sweet lady behind here, and I, I said, I'm having some, some pressure there you know and so she leaned over the desk she said now honey let me help you here they're going to come out here in just a minute and they're going to give you a wheelchair and they're going to put you in that wheelchair and when they roll you back through those doors there's going to be about a half a dozen people waiting on you and they're going to be on you and they're going to do all kind of things to you but honey it's going to be okay I'm so glad she said that because when he walked in the door they were they were ready and they got on to me. I didn't know what was going on. You know, I thought I had some kind of respiratory thing. And next thing I know, they had not only diagnosed me, they had me in an ambulance, and I was on my way. Ask me what it means to be in a hospital. I would say, <laughs> once they looked up to me and said, Sir, you've had a heart attack. I did not want to be anywhere else than around a group of people who cared about fixing what was wrong with me. It's a place of care. It was a place of healing, a place of safety. Have you ever had somebody in your loved, in your family, been ministered to by hospice? So let me ask you a question if you've been there, because if you haven't, you're free to make an opinion if you want to. But if you've experienced it, tell me what comes to mind when you think about hospice. That's, these words come from one word, hospitality. I was reading an article just this morning about a guy, a university professor, that was, I think he was looking to, he was making a point about the ingenuity of, of people. And he said the, the first hospitals were, were built, that hospitals were an invention of Christians. They began in the 4th century with Roman Christians, began to care for people. And by the 8th century, it was specialized. It was a thing that Christians focused on. The question we got to ask ourselves is, why? Where does it come from? Why would people want to walk with other people whose family is dying? What did that feel like? The point is that hospitality puts love into action. It feels like something. It is visible. It is felt. 
But it is not the ultimate purpose of our life. So listen closely, for this is important. Missions is not the ultimate purpose of our life. Mercy is not the ultimate purpose of our life. Worship is. Worship is. Worship is the reason you are here on this earth. That God just did not save us and take us to the house. Worship is where we will end this thing one day. Worship is eternal. So what have we been looking at the last 10 or 12 weeks? If you remember, we stopped John 14. Just take four weeks to study the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. His person, His presence, His power. There's a book out there on a book rack. Matter of fact, just a sidebar here. The top books out there under, under the pastor's corner are some of the books I read while I was on my sabbatical. They inform a lot of the questions that I was asking and, and answering. J.I. Packer's book is out there, Keeping in Step with the Spirit. And this was his point. This was the point of that four-week study. To keep in step with the Spirit is to pursue Christ-like holiness in our life. And as we pursue that, that in itself becomes the fruit of the Spirit that looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Christ-like holiness affects our moral character. It affects our visible action of our life. This fruit, this fruit... It comes from the Spirit. It's motivated by love. God's love for us, seen in Christ. Our love for Him that John calls this abiding. And this fruit that is motivated by love propels us in a certain direction. Or as, as God sovereignly got us to study through Peter, that this Christian journey looks like something in our life. It comes from God. It is motivated by the Spirit. It pursues Christ's likeness. And it pays whatever cost it pays in the journey. Where does it come from? John 7. Let's look at John 7. John 7, verse 38. This informed the, the image that's on the screen through the whole service. We'll, we'll explain more about that later. This river... John 7, 38 says this, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so now turn with me to John 15. Let us remember what the Lord has just said. We looked at this last week, verses 9 and 10. This motivation of love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept the Father's commandments and abide in His love. So I want us to see today the commandment, the commission, and the current. These things propel us towards that which is ultimate worship. The commandment. Well, this first point's easy, isn't it? Look at verse 12. So he said, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you, if you obey my commandments, you will abide. And then he says this, verse 12. 
This is my commandment, right? I like that. It's clear. That you love one another. This is nothing new. Remember Mark 12, 28, the scribes came testing him. He said, tell us which is the most important commandment. In Mark 12, 20, uh, verse 30 says, you shall love the Lord with God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Verse 31, the second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. One commentator said, The law of the kingdom of God is love. That is chief. That is first. Everything else flows from that. If you're not flowing from that, you are, you are stuck in a legalistic view of the gospel. It flows from love. It's just motivation. And so the action looks like love for each other. Love for our neighbor. Love for one another. Think about who he's talking to. Fishermen, tax collectors, and zealots sitting around the table. Him saying one thing, you are now family. Love one another. Imagine they're looking at each other. Him? He stinks. He smells like fish. <laughs> Him? First John. John really wanted to make sure we got this point. So he wrote some epistles. First John, he says this. First John 4, 21. And this commandment we have heard from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the commandment. Love one another. And look at verse 12. He also gives us the standard. The standard is not how well I love you. It's not how well you love your spouse. The commandment is, the, the standard is as Christ loved us. You see that? That's the standard. That's the measure. When you read that, you should think of Ephesians 4. It says that we labor in each other's life so that we might be equipped, so that we might mature. How long do I labor in your life? What's the standard? The fullness of Christ. There is a command in this love, and there is a standard in His Christ's love for us. And notice to make sure that these men sitting around this table understood who he was and understood who they were. He, he said there has been a change in status. Look at verse 13. Greater love than no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I've heard from the Father I've made known to you. Jesus is two things here that He's pointing out to the disciples. He is first their gracious friend. They would have not used such language. They called Him Master. They called Him Teacher. The Jews had no concept for such a closeness to God. Maybe Moses, maybe Abraham called the friend of God, but not us. And now here Jesus is saying, all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are my friends. There's a status change. 
There's a closeness. But, oh, brothers and sisters, don't think this gives you an excuse to be willy-nilly with the Almighty. Look at verse 16. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not interpreting this. I'm simply reading it. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you. It's king language. I chose you. I appointed you. What did he appoint us? Them two. That they should go, they should bear fruit, and that their fruit abide. Notice this change in status. This sovereign, gracious friend. This sovereign friend affects his prayer. Prayer just keeps coming up here. Do you see that? Whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. But this is important this morning. If we're going to grasp, we have a hope to grasp hospitality. We must understand love. Biblical love. When, when John is quoting here, when John is telling us what Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. That word is agape. It was a Greek word, and they mean something. You can't look up the Greek word of anything in the Bible in the Webster's Dictionary and trust what it says. The Bible was written in a language. God's love is not mere acceptance. I meant to ask Christina, who was in the hospital. I remember being in the hospital, and I could have been visiting somebody. It could have been one of us. Who knows? You get old, you go to the hospital too much. And there was a woman across the hall. Some people in the nursing will, will really relate to this. And she's wailing. She's wailing. She was backed up, if you know what I mean. Parents, you can explain that to your kids later. She, and she was not happy. She was experiencing some pain. And what that doctor did not go, that ER doctor did not go in there to do. You're sitting there going, Honey, you know, I just want you to know that we accept you just like you are. And that we are here for you. And that if you need to scream, you just go right ahead and turn around and walk out the door. No, no. What that woman needed was something to fix this. I'm hurting. I am not okay. This is getting worse. Something bad is going to happen. Love. What is agape? It's on your notes. This is what agape means. A strong, non-sexual affection and love for a person and their good understood by God's moral character. Agape is willing to sacrifice one's own rights and privileges for another. Listen, that's what agape means and it doesn't mean anything else. That's what John means. That's what Jesus meant when he said it. And look what he said. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. You see, the cross not only put love as an example, it put it on display. Love was defined on the cross. Do you see that? What is agape? It is someone who is willing to sacrifice one's own rights and privileges for someone else. And Jesus said, I proved my agape to you, and I proved it on the cross. Philippians 2, you know this, said Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. And he died. 
This informs the command. It informs the standard. It defines what love is. And it directs our life. 1 John 3.14 says this. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we agape the brothers. Whoever does not agape abides in death. We know and can be assured of our own salvation and security in Christ by the agape that the Spirit of God has put within us. The command, love your family. As I have loved you. The commission is this. Grow your family. Grow your family. You know Matthew 28, 18 to 20. We don't have to go there, do we? We know it. The Lord commissions His followers by this. Go what? Make disciples. Where do we begin making disciples? Jerusalem, our own home. Where do we end disciple making? To the ends of the world. Hold on, Pastor. We're, we're in John 15, right? There's no command here saying I need to make disciples in John 15. There's no share the gospel. Oh, yes. If we have not grabbed that yet, we've missed the whole point. One of John's whole points of John. You see, John's language for commission, for disciple making, is the word witness. It's one of his key words. It's absolutely everywhere. Let's just go to John 5, though. John 5. Got a lot here in chapter 5. John's language, his missional language, is bear witness. Look at John 5. Look at verse 32. Here we can read that the Father bears witness. Look at verse 33. John the Baptist came and was sent to bear witness. Look down at verse 36. Jesus' works themselves bear witness. Look at verse 39. Scripture, all Scripture itself, bears witness to the Lord. And now flip with me to our text, our chapter that we're in this week. We'll see this next week. Look at verse 26. The Spirit of God bears witness. And in verse 27, Jesus says... And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. John's gospel is all about the Great Commission. As those who came before us bear witness, so must we. The, the mission that we bear witness is as we go in about our everyday lives. But the scripture does not tell us to go on a mission. It just does not tell us to, to make disciples. It tells us how we should make disciples. It gives us a methodology. If there's one verse over the last 10 years or so of my life that I've thought about and meditated on and even argue with other people is how in the world that we accomplish Acts 2 in our generation. We just read it. You may want to hold your place here. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
Notice what happened as a result. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Spirit of God's doing the saving, you see. The question is, what were they doing? What were they doing? We sit there and wonder, oh, well, we can't go to church every day. We miss the whole point. There was current. There was a current that was running through their life. It was the very gospel itself and the very command of God to love one another. This was their priority. The current of God's church, you see, is hospitality. It informed the image that's behind you. This river. Current is the movement of something in a particular direction. That's what we mean. So hang with me here. This is important. The current that moves the Great Commission is our love for each other and our love for our neighbors. Did you hear what I said? The current that moves the Great Commission toward our destination, which is worship, is the Great Commandment. Love your neighbor and love each other. The Great Commandment feels like hospitality when it's put to action. Like that family you, you felt when someone was terminal and hospice came in around them and ministered to the family in their hour of need. It felt like something. People who experienced it still remember it 20 years later. Hospitality. Hospitality came into the room one night when I could barely breathe. And she did not tell me it was going to be okay. She said, move out of the way. Let me do what I do. She started giving me stuff. <laughs> doing what she knew how to do. That felt like love to me. It's not simply an ideology or a philosophy or something that we talk about at the coffee shop. It is the way we live our life. Hospitality. What is it? That word is not a word that's in the Bible. It's translated. There's two words. Phileo, right? The Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love. That's the Greek word. And I talked about this the other day. The word xeno, though it comes from xenophobia, it's actually spelled with an X. Two words put together. Brotherly love to strangers. That's what hospitality is. Scripture uses it in two contexts. In the context of in the family love, that is the church, and more predominantly is strangers. This might call strangers, uh, aliens, neighbors, Gentiles, pagans in the Bible, that kind of language. Matter of fact, it's a good... Um, if you're a small group leader, you may want to do this. Look up the one another's. Look up the one another's in the Bible. There's at least 59 in the New Testament, maybe more. Look them up. Talk about them in your small group. My point is this. After Pentecost, this is what marks the church. If you've got Acts 2 still marked, just notice that. It's what marks them. Their love for their gospel and their love for each other. 
They devoted themselves, in verse 42, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. You want to know why we do communion every week? It's because the early church did. Their love for each other started somewhere. It started at the cross. And so every week we remember that. That I love you because I was first loved. And I love you when I don't feel like loving you. And I abide, we abide with each other because He abides with us. Look at verse 44 of Acts 2. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belonging and distributed to any who has need. If you were one who had need and, they were, and somebody sold their property to meet your need, let me ask you something. What would that feel like? And feel like brotherly love. So what have we learned in, in John 15 up to this point? That this spiritual fruit of pursuing Christ-like holiness in verse 7 of chapter 15 infects our prayer life. In verse 9 and 10, it produces an obedient love. A love that expresses ourselves in our devotion and our obedience to Christ. It, it comes up, it reveals itself through unquenchable joy. And I know I get happy when, them, when, them, when the UPS brings those Amazon boxes with that big smile on it, just like you do. And then Christina's ordered something, opened it up, like, oh, man, a potholder or something, you know. It was like, man, it could have been a big book or something. It's not that. Joy is a relationship and one that is eternal. It transcends our situation. It gives us a calm confidence. But here's what we want to see. Fourth thing that we learn in John 15 is that this fruit looks like sacrificial brotherly love or what we call hospitality. So here's the question. Here's the reason for the image behind you this morning. Would you rather... Oh, let me ask you this. Who's ever been intertubing? Right? Man, you, where y'all been? Y'all got to try that. I know we're getting old and the rocks hurt if they hit you. But you've got to try inner tube. And I know at least some of you have been to that lazy river in the motels. You know, just move around, you know. And you can just have a good time doing nothing. Would you rather be doing that? In a mountain river? Inner tubing. Beautiful mountains. Or would you rather put that inner tube and be inner tubing in a swamp? You ever been around a swamp? Doesn't smell real good. Not exactly inviting. And if you'd rather go to a swamp, I think Sean saw one this week. He'd be glad to show you where it is. And he'll stand on the bank when you jump in. That's, my, that's the image. The image is a river. And the river that begins in the mountains eventually flows and dumps into the ocean. And sometimes it is a trickle. And sometimes it is the rapids. But it is always current. It's always moving it in one direction. You see, the riverbed is the Great Commission. Go make followers of Christ. The water, the, the river itself is the gospel. And where it leads is culminated, glorified corporate worship. This is where we are headed. The question is this. What gives the river its current? 
what makes it move? I mean, if you, you started and you just kept walking and walking and walking and you walked up the mountain, you're still following that river and you get to the, get to the top. Where does it come from? What makes it move? Think about John 7. Out of our heart comes the rivers of living water. The current began through Christ's love for us. And it flows down by the gravity in our life. The current is going in your generation and then the next generation through the great commandment. The current is our love for each other and our love for our neighbor gives the Great Commission its motion as it heads towards and as we invite all peoples to worship the Lamb. Without this, this is why it's so critical. I, I don't know how much time I've spent praying and thinking about this. It has been the consuming Meditation of your pastor's heart. And you need to hear that this morning. That without this, our church and your life will become a swamp. A place that gets stagnant because the river has stopped. When the great commandment stops in our life, our spiritual life will become like a stagnant swamp. And over a period of time, we can all get used to it. Uh, the church is possible to know the gospel. It's possible. It's possible to be able to quote me Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and it not look like any action in our life. And what can happen? It's like the fish in that swamp. Do you all sort of get accustomed to the fish that's there? Do you all sort of get accustomed to the smell until they all die? It's not what God has called us to be. Our lives and our homes are hospitals. They're places of safety, of care, of protection and healing. So I want you to see this morning, and I, all I'm doing is introducing many of the thoughts that come out of the book that we're going to go through as a small group. If you don't have it, there's some out in the lobby. I would invite you to read it. It's easy reading. I'm just trying to concise some of the core here this morning for us. Three C's. Because I'm a pastor and everything's got to start with the same letter. That's why I do that. <laughs> because hopefully it'll be more memorable. First is it's costly. Hospitality is costly. Listen, this is the language that's been given to us. We are inviting people into our sacred spaces. Sacred spaces. There are spaces in your life that are sacred. And they should be. There are homes. There are meals. There are daily activities. 1 Peter 4 9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> we grumble because it costs us something. In chapter 2 of the book, it'll tell us about some barriers that we have to get over. We talked a little bit with some guys last night. I can't get over barriers in other people's life. I must first get over the barriers of my own. So that's what's first. <laughs> what are some barriers? A mindset of isolation. 
It is my home as a retreat. My home is the Bat Cave, right? Anybody remember watching Batman as a little? I hadn't watched some of the later ones. But when I was little, you know, he's driving around on this road, and, and all of a sudden the, the Batmobile just, something just opens. Where'd he go? Don't know where he went. Went to the Bat Cave. Nobody knows where the Bat Cave is. Our homes can become Bat Caves. Places that we go to retreat and nobody else knows where they are. It can become entertainment. And entertainment's good. Retreat's good. That's what God gave you that home for, so you could rest. Right? You could sit down in your chair and relax. You could turn a TV on and enjoy something together as a family. But when entertainment trumps mission, when isolation trumps mission and trumps the great commandment, they become idolatry. Another barrier is busyness. What we are saying here is that hospitality must be a calendared event in our life. It is costly. It is a commitment. Listen, I chose these words carefully. It is a commitment to share some of your sacred space with other believers and unbelievers that are already in your life. Let me say that again. Not saying you need to share all of your sacred space. We're not going to do that anyway, by the way. And if we did, we would be doing something sinning against our own families. But you should share some of it. And what we are beginning, how we are starting, is simply looking around with those who are already in your life. God has already placed them there. You don't have to find them. We must, this is costly, and we must be consistent. If you're taking notes, write these words down. It must be, you must be intentional. What you do must be sustainable. It must be repeatable. It must be a regular calendar event. And yes, as we grow and, and gain confidence and maturity, this should be and may often in your life and so what I'm praying for is some people saying, listen, I'm already doing that. Is that not what that is? Absolutely. Where does it come from? How is it motivated? What we're saying is take some of you, what you're already doing, and seek to be consistent with it. Put an intention on that fruit or those vegetables that you give your neighbor. You're already doing that, right? You want some? Absolutely. Just put intentionality with this. Your goal is to get them on the other side of the fence into your life. It ought to be repeatable. Don't put on Thanksgiving when you invite somebody over to your house. Just eat what you're eating. It's refreshing. When I just invited you to eat supper. We were going to eat supper anyway. My house is not perfectly clean. Your house isn't either. That's refreshing. <laughs> We're not supposed to have it all together. We're supposed to love one another. Costly, consistent, and listen, casual. Who wants to come somewhere and it's not comfortable, right? Should be relaxing. It should be low-key. It should be simply the normal stuff of your life that you invite someone to come alongside with. It's enjoyable. Little tip. Turn this stupid thing off while you're doing it. Silence it. By the way, just a little tip. If you're eating with somebody and you keep doing that, 
You were disrespecting them. You were saying, I have something better to do. And I'm too busy. That's the way it will be received. Turn your phones off. Silence them. Flip them over. Focus on the person. To whom do we do this? How do we get started? It's the one and others. The one and others. Believers, any and all. But there's a priority in the Bible. There is a priority in the Bible. And the priority is your local church. He's already put people in your life. And here's the question. When's the last time a church member sat around your table? And I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody. I'm just saying that's where we start. We start right here with each other in each other's life. Inviting, inviting each other into each other's life. It's because love feels like hospitality. Then we invite the stranger. The Bible oftentimes calls, and this is anyone. This is the unbelieving, the questioning, the doubting, the hurting, the broken, the, the lost, the unlovable. And many of them, listen, they're already in your life. They're already in your life. It's that cash register that identifies with you when you go through Target. It's the person you sell food to or help at the bank. Or it's a woman you work beside every week and she's got that angry disposition for some reason. Quote out of the book. Here's the potential scary part. Because of our role in representing God to the world, when we do not walk in hospitality, we do not tell the truth about God. When we are cold, separated, and distant from those around us, we communicate that God is cold, separated, and distant. When we are warm, loving, and gracious, we put the gospel on display. That last sentence is important. Listen, as we grow into a post-Christian society, we must first put the gospel on display. And we put it on display by how well we love those around us. Hospitality, brothers and sisters, is the current that carries the gospel down the stream of our life and culminates in the worship of our God. Revelation 7, 9 to 12. So this is where we're heading. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And all the angels who are standing around the throne and around and the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. That's where we're headed. And God has called us to love our family, to grow our family, because those who are around the throne one day, every single one of them will be our family. Are you willing to leverage your life and your sacred spaces for the gospel? Are you willing? And this requires you to answer two questions. Are you equipped to share the gospel? Are you equipped to share the gospel? Because your lack of equipping 
could be quenching the Spirit of God when He tells you to be hospitable toward that person. And you're saying, what if we get in a gospel conversation? What if they bring up that they're mad because God killed their child or whatever they're going to say to you? You don't know what's going to happen. Don't know what they're going to say. It's better for me to just go into the bat cave. Equip yourself to share the gospel. If you need to be equipped, there are men and women here that will love to sit down with a cup of coffee and, and begin to tell you how to navigate that. Are you willing to share your life? Start today. You're going to eat lunch anyway. Don't overthink this, brothers and sisters. I have to have people in my life tell me that all the time, by the way. Stop overthinking it. I've been asked this question, Stephen, what, what is your goal for the homeless? What is your goal when you run into the prostitute at the hotel in Gastonia? What is our goal when a guest walks through the door? It's the truth. I can't fix anyone. I have wept and wished I could. I can't fix anyone. I see these wonderful, strong young men out on the street addicted. Truth is, I can't fix it. And neither can you. But we can do what the Bible tells us to do. And this is the verse that has been, it has been the meditation of my life for a while. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says this, Paul writing to the church, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, God, but our own selves, because you were very dear to us. My goal when I meet someone who's homeless or selling their bodies or just the person who walks through the doors is to say, as far as it is for me, and as far as it is for this church, we have two things that we can offer. The gospel and our own life. And if that's not enough, I can give you nothing else. For that is all that God has given me to give. And if I give that, and if you give that, brothers and sisters, it is enough. Some of you need to receive this today, who are parents and friends. If you give them the gospel and you give them yourself, you have given all that God requires of you. And so this is the, this is the charge. Let us with spirit boldness go outside the gate as our Lord did and offer both our lives and the gospel and trust the Lord to grow His family for the praise of His glory.